In a new interview with 60 Minutes, former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon said he thinks he is a street fighter. And looking at him, I'd say the street won. That's just a shot at a person's looks, which we did not Childish. En- we did not engage in yesterday. <laughs> no, clearly not. Hey, the uh, uh, fascinating featurette on why Bannon looked so bad. Okay. Really interesting. I want to hear that. Oh, yeah. It's definitely worth staying tuned for. So, listen, there are a couple of main themes on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Guiding principles. Number one. We'd like your drive into work to be less boring than it could have been otherwise, and so you'll listen. That's really the guiding principle. But when it comes to politics, the idea that the R's and the D's, the, 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 the political parties, are whipping you up and leading you around by the nose. They're getting you all jacked up against each other while they all get rich and they grow the government and the rest of it. And they're pitting us against each other. In ways that are completely unnecessary. Just and, and the fact, and this is a bit of an aside, but I've, I've had several discussions in real life with people who seem to think this is absolutely true. People are tying their politics to their identity in a way that you normally don't see at all outside of like when there's a revolution or something like that and people are dying in the streets. The idea that, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a, a husband, I'm a Christian, I'm a JC's member, I'm, I'm a baseball coach, I'm a blah, blah, blah. And, oh, yeah, I happen to vote a Democrat. You know, now it's I'm a Democrat. I'm a fighter. I'm a every. It's way up top in everybody's identity. Well, and we've seen those uh, those those polls that like the number of people that don't want their daughter to marry a Republican or whatever. Right. And it did good used, example. It used to be nobody cared. Nobody cared. <laughs> it was mildly amusing, and and used to be like recently. Peter Beinert uh, is a self declared liberal. He's written a piece in uh, the Atlantic. It's in uh, it's in the magazine this month, kids. A magazine is like a website that they put on paper once a month. Why would they do that? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm going to quote a little bit from Beinert's piece and uh, weave in and out of it. But um, in 2005, a left-leaning blogger wrote, quote, illegal immigration wreaks havoc economically, socially, and culturally makes a mockery of the rule of law, and is disgraceful just on basic fairness grounds alone. That is a liberal blogger. In 2006, a liberal columnist wrote that, quote, immigration reduces the wages of domestic workers who compete with immigrants, and that the fiscal burden of low-wage immigrants is also pretty clear. His conclusion, quote, we'll need to reduce the inflow of low-skilled immigrants. That same year, a Democratic senator wrote, quote, When I see Mexican flags waved at pro-immigration demonstrations, I sometimes feel a flush of patriotic resentment. When I'm forced to use a translator to communicate with the guy fixing my car, I feel a certain frustration. Yeah. That Democratic senator was Barack Obama. Really? Did he really say that? The columnist who was talking about the immigration reduces the wages of domestic workers and we've got to stop it was Paul Krugman. The blogger who said illegal immigration wreaks havoc economically, socially, and culturally culturally, and is disgraceful on basic fairness grounds alone was Glenn Greenwald. Well, if you weren't reading that from The Atlantic, I would think we need to verify this. This sounds like that sort of Internet thing where they assign quotes to people. Yeah. Prominent liberals didn't oppose immigration a decade ago. Most acknowledged its benefits to America's economy and culture. 
They supported a path to citizenship for the undocumented. Still, they routinely asserted that low-skilled immigrants depressed the wages of low-skilled American workers and strained America's welfare state. Do you think because it's so freaking obviously true? And they were far, <laughs> How could it not be true? And they were far more likely than liberals today uh, to acknowledge that, as Krugman put it, immigration is an intensely painful topic because it places basic principles in conflict. Well, the premise of Beinert's article, which I skipped, um, is... The myth, which liberals like myself find tempting, is that only the right has changed. In June 2015, we tell ourselves Donald Trump rolled down his golden escalator and pretty soon nativism, long a feature of conservative politics, had engulfed it. But that's not the full story. If the right has grown more nationalistic, the left has grown less so. A decade ago, liberals publicly questioned immigration in ways that would shock many progressives today. That's a decade ago, which is the blink of an eye. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something. Then uh, Beinert, and, and you know, this is funny. This is so much of what we've talked about on the show so many times, but he's a professional journalist, so he took enough time to put all of this stuff together. And he builds a really beautiful case for his conclusion. Wait, he didn't just copy, post, and try to get blog hits? No. No. Interesting strategy. That's, anyway, today little of that ambivalence remains. In 08, the Democratic platform... Now, remember, this is 08 when both Hillary and Barack said that they were against gay marriage. Remember? And they said this. They called undocumented immigrants, quote, our neighbors, but also warned, quote... We cannot continue to allow people to enter the United States undetected, undocumented, and unchecked. Those who enter our country's borders illegally and those who employ them disrespect the rule of law. This is the 08 Democratic platform. By 2016, such language was gone. The party's platform described America's immigration system as a problem, but not illegal immigration. And it focused almost entirely on the forms of immigration enforcement Democrats opposed. In its immigration section, the 08 platform referred three times to people entering the country, quote, illegally. The immigration section of the 2016 2016 platform didn't use the word illegal or any variation of it at all. Says Jason Furman, former chairman of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, quote, a decade or two ago, Democrats were divided on immigration. Now everyone agrees and is passionate and thinks very little about any potential downsides. How did this come to be? All right, now so we'll jump into the, uh, you know, kind of the overarching theme. Y'all on the left have to quit screaming hater and racist and anti-immigrant to people who agree with Barack Obama and Paul Krugman and and Glenn Greenwald and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and everybody on your side. Now... It's interesting to observe the number of illegal immigrants is practically the same as it was then because of various economic uh, ups and downs. There's a giant surge during the boom years, and then a lot of people went back to Mexico when they couldn't find a job. But here's here's how where we get back to the premise of the Armstrong and Getty show, and Peter Beinert, I think, is pretty brave and honest to write this. Uh, what happened? A l- the larger explanation is political. Between 2008 and 2016, Democrats became more and more confident that the country's growing Latino population gave the party an electoral edge. To win the presidency, Democrats convinced themselves they didn't need to reassure white people skeptical of immigration so long as they turned out the Latino base. 
quote, the fastest growing sector of the American electorate stampeded toward the Democrats this summer, Salon declared after Obama's 08 win. If that pattern continues, the GOP is doomed to 40 years of wandering in the desert. I've heard that a lot, yeah. Yeah. Now, we also probably ought to throw in that Corporate America, and in particularly, in particular, the tech companies, your Zuckerbergs and Gates and the rest of it, they want unfettered H H one B immigration. They are pro complete immigration, so they can get their engineers and coders at the cheapest price possible. But listen, to get back to the main thing, it's so obvious what happened. Democrats decided, look, if we just go full on up with Latinos in every way, we'll get their votes and we will get power. It's a reasonable political strategy. To me, if you betray the country's national security and make a mockery of its immigration laws, you're doing an enormous disservice to the people that you claim to represent. But you got to quit with the hater racist stuff. You've just got to. You're being whipped up by your party leaders to try to turn out the vote. It's not a moral question. It's not a what's good for the country question. It is purely a winning power question. How much do you think the country has moved since 2005, 2006, since those quotes, as opposed to the uh, some of the politicians in their talk? I don't think the country's moved that much. Um, Some. Some, I think, well, the point of the article and the point of of my screed is that a lot of uh, Democrat voters and lefties have moved to the point that they think anybody who agrees with Barack Obama and Paul Krugman and Glenn Greenwald is an awful person and a racist. You hear it all the freaking time. So in your progressive states, I mean, try to say what Barack Obama said in Seattle in Portland. Try to quote Paul Krugman in San Francisco. What they said, don't say their names. You will get screamed at. You might get beat up by Antifa for agreeing with the leading lights of liberalism just a few years ago. Certainly Bill Clinton, his uh, feelings about illegal immigration from 92 would uh, would not fly today. You know, they talk about how um, Bernie Sanders was more or less echoing what we were talking about, the Krugman, Obama, Greenwald view of immigration early in his campaign. But he got a lot of heat for it. By January, um, his uh, policy director, oh, uh, the uh, FWD.com, what are they? They're super lefty. Uh, it's Well, it's a progressive website and, and group. Um, they noted with satisfaction that Bernie has evolved on this issue. He was shamed into stopping saying that, uh, you know, unfettered immigration hurts low-skilled U.S. workers. Boy, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. In 06, Krugman wrote that America was experiencing, quote, large increases in the number of low-skilled workers relative to other inputs into production. So it's inevitable that this means a fall in wages. Yeah, a lot of those Paul people. Paul freaking Krugman. A lot of those people voted Trump. And it's not because they're racist. It's because they realize... You know, if you let a whole bunch of people in from another country and pay them less, your wages go down, which is so obviously true. You know, we can leave this behind or, or read your text uh, responses or emails or whatever. The text line is 415-295-KFTC, 415-295-KFTC. You can email us at armstrongandgetty at yahoo.com. But uh, Beinert goes on to say, and this is where I open my arms for a big hug. None of this means that liberals should oppose immigration. 
And by the way, almost nobody opposes immigration. Who do you ever run into? That is such a red herring. It is. Who do you ever run into who's actually anti-immigrant? Virtually nobody. I don't think I've ever talked to a single person in my life. It hardly exists. You're yelling at something that doesn't exist. Again, they've whipped you up into really becoming a cartoon character of yourself, yelling about something that doesn't exist. 98% of us are are pro-lawful immigration. Uh, entry to the United States is, for starters, a boon to immigrants and the family members back home to whom they send money. I'm not really that concerned about that, but it should be valued on these moral grounds alone. But immigration benefits the economy, too, because immigrants are more likely than native-born Americans to be of working age. They improve the ratio of workers to retirees, which helps keep programs like Social Security and Medicare solvent. Immigration has also been found to boost productivity. And the National Academy's report finds that, quote, natives' incomes rise in aggregate as a result of immigration. The problem is that, although economists differ about the extent of the damage, immigration hurts the Americans with whom immigrants compete. And since more than a quarter of America's recent immigrants lack even a high school diploma or its equivalent, immigration particularly hurts the least educated native workers, the very people who are already struggling the most. America's immigration system, in other words, pits two of the groups liberals care about most, the native-born poor and the immigrant poor, against each other. Driving the wages down. That's right. Making their lives worse. People who want a coherent immigration policy and then want those laws to be enforced are not racists. They're not haters. Stop it. So Ted Cruz is uh, tweeting out porn videos? Well, he seems he's not tweeting them out. He seems to be liking them. The, okay. uh, the like feature on Twitter, he, he liked the porn video. And they did something to make Steve Bannon look bad on 60 Minutes? Uh, yeah. Why did he look near death? Red rim dies? And weirdly rosy lips. Yeah. Stay with us. I want to hear that. He oh, my God. Very this is right up there with Time Magazine making OJ blacker, because that would make him scarier. Awesome. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. This is crazy. Florida really is the best. A guy in Daytona Beach, I don't know if you saw this, as a joke, he posted on Facebook a campaign to urge his fellow Floridians to fire guns at the hurricane to, quote, let Irma know that we shoot first. And, and guess what happened? <laughs> Some people took it seriously to the point where the Pasco County Sheriff's Department felt compelled to post this stern warning. Do not shoot weapons at Irma. <laughs> you won't make it turn around. And it will have very dangerous side effects. You can see they even made a graphic to show people that if you fire a bullet at a hurricane, it, it might come back at you. In other words, if you, you shoot at a hurricane, it will shoot you back. So always try to negotiate with the hurricane first, okay? This is unprecedented. Who shoots at weather? <laughs> Floridians, that's who. Yeah, come on. Uh, discuss the very... Important topic of a college girl's right to serve coffee in a bikini, as that has become a problem in cities across America. And in Everett, Washington, they've made it against the law to show your anal cleft. Oh, oh, oh! I thought this was America. Uh, I guess I was wrong. We'll get into that story. What the heck? Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll just... uh, hmm. So, uh, Steve Bannon on 60 Minutes. Look a little weird. What did you say his eyes looked like there, Sean? Uh, tired eyes. He's, uh, there's various things. The, the uh, eyes of a baboon's arse. Wow. Is, uh, mm, is one thing that for, I... Uh, that's one metaphor one could use. Yes. Well, and he looked... Well, yeah, red-rimmed eyes and just kind of weird looking. Yeah. Um, 
And his lips were disturbingly red. Yes. While the rest of his now face was gr- gray-ish. Yeah. So, uh, listen, I'm going to play you a, a video that's going around on the webs. It's a professional fo- photographer talking about 60 Minutes. And obviously, there's a lot of visuals in this. But uh, number one, you can picture it. Number two, I have watched this. I have gone back to the broadcast, and I can verify that this is all authentic. So listen to this, would you? We'll play a little bit of it. I wanted to talk a little bit today about color correction and grading and about how it can be used to make people look better or worse on television. This is a still frame of Steve Bannon from the 60 Minutes interview that's going to run tonight. And the first thing that I noticed was that there were red circles around his eyes and his lips looked cherry red. And I also noticed that the curtains in the background looked really orange. Now, I've met Steve Bannon, and I know what he looks like. He's Irish, and uh, he does have kind of paper skin. But he doesn't have pronounced red circles around his eyes. That's not who he is in real life. So I started comparing the two shots of Charlie Rose and Steve Bannon to see what kind of differences I could find. And it was very interesting. The first thing that you need to take a look at is the color and saturation. Those drapes in the Breitbart Embassy in Washington, D.C. are actually the same color. Now, the light lighting them might be slightly uh closer or farther away, which accounts for the brightness, but they are the same color. And you can see from these two shots that they're definitely not the same color. That is really interesting. If you take a look at Charlie Rose's shirt, it's bluer. It's about 13 units of blue from neutral, which means that they've graded it into a cooler shot that does a couple of things. It makes his makeup look less clownish. Yeah, Joe Getty and the blue units were playing actually this weekend. (laughs) So this is a guy so. who clearly knows what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so he goes on to describe why they did that. And it also knocks down the uh, contrast a little bit. So I'm going to do the same thing to Steve. So what he does then is he has gone to neutral shades and he matches the colors. So then he reprocesses the shots so that they're both the way uh, uh, Charlie Brown What's his name? Rose. Charlie Rose was shot. Uh, he, Which one could never kick the football? <laughs> so yeah. he uh, he makes the Bannon shot look just like the Charlie Rose shot, and he looks absolutely fine. He looks perfect. And then he makes Charlie Rose look like the Steve Bannon shot, and his makeup looks clownish, and he just looks very, very different, and the curtains are orange behind him like they are in the original shot. That and it is, is so interesting. CBS OJ'd Steve Bannon make him look even worse and I mean, yeah. and they made him look bad enough well that we were commenting on it yesterday right. and when they just made the shot the same as charlie rose the red rims around his eyes completely disappeared he just looked like an irish guy having a conversation in a room not some sort of up all night sucking the blood of virgins f- <laughs> vampire freak wow nice job cbs so who who at 60 minutes made that decision i wonder and it's, it's a tv show it's entertainment that's something. They needed though. a villain. That is something, though. Uh, what's coming up in your news, Marshall? Oh, I'm sorry, Marsh. Before you get into yeah. that, go ahead. You can play the jazzy music if you like, Michael. Don't we all enjoy a little tune now and again? We'll have a link to that video for you at armstrongandgettyradio.com so you can watch it yourself. Marshall? All right. Coming up, we've got new U.N. sanctions against North Korea. Not what they were supposed to be. Who is 
coming to dinner. Trump's guest list now raising some GOP eyebrows, and Apple's iPhone X will stand for exclusive. Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Giddy. I want to hear that. You know, Marsh, if I was going to tease the uh, North Korea story, here's my take on it. Yes. The world asked China and Russia, are you going to help us prevent North Korea from having a nuclear arsenal? China and Russia said no. They will have a nuclear arsenal and soon. It's been decided. Son of a bees. Why is a Monday Night Football sideline reporter apologizing for his performance this morning? We'll have that story coming up also on the Armstrong and Getty Show. This organization, the Patriot Prayer Group, has had to tried to have a couple of get-togethers in which Antifa showed up and beat them down or scared them off, and the cops did a little about it on various cities in the West Coast. Uh, well, Joey Gibson, who is, is he the head guy for this? Yep. We're going to talk to him in about a half an hour. That should be interesting. And they're, I'm an- they're being portrayed as a hateful white supremacy group, so we'll expect to hear a lot of hate. Yes, exactly. Yeah, stay tuned for eight. Uh, also, uh, just a quick thanks to all the alert folks who sent in that stuff about Steve Bannon and the photo adjustment and that video that's going around. If you ever see something, you know, you think we ought to be talking about, zap it along. Armstrong and Getty at Yahoo.com. That's really interesting. Yeah, I know. We shouldn't have a Yahoo account. It's so unhip. <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, you got to change it. Yeah, you got to figure out a new password. Uh, sounds like a lot of effort. <laughs> Let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, U.N. Security Council approved new sanctions on North Korea, but they weren't as strong as the ones the U.S. originally wanted that would have banned all oil imports by the North, frozen the international assets of the government and leader Kim Jong-un, and put sanctions on the North's national airline and army. In short, measures that would have actually forced them to capitulate and come to the table. They passed on that. Making, you know, Russia said in particular, well, that would hurt the common people in North Korea, and we don't want that. Their own regime starves them to death. It's simply they saw a counterbalance for the U.S. in the region, and they wanted to to help North Korea along. So we asked China and Russia, are you serious about helping us prevent uh, the nuclear buildup in the the Far East? And they said, no, we're not going to help you. That's long and short. So Richard Haas from the Council on Foreign Relations said this morning they're the toughest sanctions ever imposed against North Korea, and they won't make any difference. Right. Yeah, despite the U.S. not getting all that it wanted, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, echoed those comments. She was praising the sanctions. These are by far the strongest measures ever imposed on North Korea. They give us a much better chance to halt the regime's ability to fuel and finance its nuclear and missile programs. Yeah, I'd say going from an 11% chance to a 16% chance is, is a significant change so, and still completely meaningless. One of Because I, I, I've been wondering for decades now, because how many times in my life I've heard a new stricter sanctions on either Iran or North Korea or whoever, and they never seem to do anything. So I just always wondered what was going on there. The various administrations, they never... They never enforce them. <laughs> People like China, for instance, with North Korea, right. China violates them, and right. we don't call them on it for some reason. And, or or and, we don't and, call them on it in the right way. We don't punish them for failing to comply. Right. And, and there, are the, there are lists of companies in our close, close allies' uh, borders, within their borders, that did business with Iran when they were under the severe sanctions. And we just didn't do anything about it. 
President Trump gearing up for an aggressive road trip. He's going to be traveling to at least 13 states over the next seven weeks to sell the idea of a tax overhaul as the administration tries to avoid repeating the communications failures of its attempt to repeal Obamacare. Tonight, three moderate Democrats are among the bipartisan group of lawmakers that are going to sit down and have dinner with President Trump. They're going to be discussing the uh, bill to cut taxes for corporations and individuals, the tax overhaul. The White House says Democratic Senators Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp, and Joe Donnelly of Indiana are going to be joining a dinner with the Republicans. That'll include John Thune and Orrin Hatch of Utah. This is really interesting because was last week a one-off where he sided with the Democrats, or is or is there, is there something new going on in Washington, D.C.? As the New York Times said, new as in first time in 150 years. Is he going to put together some group of Republicans and Democrats that does major tax reform, pissing off the base of the Republicans and the Democrats because they don't go along with it? Yeah. Or are the Democrats under enough pressure from their base, don't you do anything that goes along with Donald Trump? Which they're under a lot of pressure to do. Right. The idea of having a bipartisan plan and passing legislation is not new or revolutionary in any way. But if Trump, like, forms that coalition and gives a finger to the quote-unquote Republican Party, well, that would be wild. Well, if it, in effect, becomes a political party, I think that is a new thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got the new iPhone launching today. Apple's iPhone X. The X will stand for exclusive. It's going to cost uh, people more than they're used to paying for phones, around and above $1,000. And what do I get for $1,000? Well, for one thing, you're getting exclusivity. Availability has its own value. Availability is going to... Not to me, but to a lot of people. It's going to be limited because the difficulty of its manufacture. So the X will serve as a status symbol for its owners. Yeah, I get that, and that does have a value. There's a lot of stuff that the only reason it costs right. that much is because it has a polar, polo horse on the chest. Right. Um, uh, so I understand that. Um, but is there anything to it? Well, the uh, the uh, leaks that have come out says the uh, iPhone X, iPhone 10 is said to include wireless charging, facial recognition, an edge-to-edge display, and no home button. Those How does, the- it, does edge-to-edge display... Do anything if you have a case on your phone, or do you actually miss out on some of the screen all the time? They'll have to make new cases. Slightly redesigned cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no home button, huh? Yep. How do you get home? There's no place like home. Home button is the first thing that wears out on my phones all the time. Really? So I can understand why they're eliminating it. You're pressing it too hard. (laughs) (laughs) Event's going to be starting at 10 a.m. West Coast. And we have... A that was a not very much there, Marshall, to make me want to spend $1,000 on the telephone. Exclusivity. Exclusivity. Yeah. You'll ah, be able please. to wave it around. At your news, I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The boys. First of all, I don't hang around anybody, so there's nobody to wave it around to. And if I did wave it around and anybody was impressed, I don't want to hang out with those people. You're talking to a guy who wears used clothes, Marshall. Oh, I, uh, I shave once a week. I just... <laughs> ah, status, please. <laughs> If it does something cool, then maybe, you know, it's worth a grand. But wireless charging sounded cool until Sean told me you just place it on the charger without a wire. That does not that big a deal. So I like the facial recognition. I think that's, that's cool. pretty cool. Yeah. I'm curious to see if they've gotten to the point where you can't trick it with a photo anymore. That's right. been the criticisms of other facial recognition Correct. things. You just put it up to a... Yeah, so if you have yours locked with a with your face, then I can... Some of them I can just hold up a picture to it and it unlocks your phone. Right. That's nice. Which, that's... which seems like not the intended way to use it. Sounds more like the new Equifax phone. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. My security. <laughs> why is this, why is this Monday Night Football sideline reporter apologizing for for his performance last night? I haven't heard this. You all said it was a debacle. Well, that's no, co- please stay tuned. That's coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Bev, coach, it's a pleasure to be with you guys here on the field from up close, just watching Coach Vance Joseph from here. You watch him now on the screen. This diversity in his background is helping him a lot tonight. Quarterback at Colorado, defensive back in the NFL, and here he is having the time of his life this night making his head coaching debut. What are you talking about, dude? So, um, so that that sideline reporter on Monday Night Football, uh, uh, not long after that, went on a video, did a selfie video of himself in his hotel room because that went viral. With like, what the hell was that guy talking about? Right, and who is he, and why did he get hired? And that was the last time they went to him, too. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, Here's his explanation: I was studying my elementary school September 11th, 2001, in Calixo, California. Growing up in the American environment as a minority, a minority like head coaches Vance Joseph and Anthony Lynn, so all I wanted to do was show some respect, making my debut as a minority on American national <laughs> TV, the biggest stage out there. Unfriggin' believable. So your explanation is as difficult to follow as the original report. I'm and, not and quite exactly sure what you said there. Throws but. in a heap and helping of the oppressed classes. Yeah, I don't, I don't so he's he's usually on the ESPN Spanish channel. Yeah, that's where he's done most of his ESPN work was on the ESPN Deportes. Uh, right. There, this was the second of two Monday Night Football games in a row. They typically throw together kind of a makeshift crew for that. The crappier game. Yes, yes. All yeah. all three announcers were making their NFL debut. Rex Ryan was color commentator his first time since being no longer an NFL coach. And Beth Moen, I believe her name was, who actually did a really good job, was the play by play. First time a, a, a female has done an NFL game. So it was kind of an affirmative action Monday Night Football. You had a gal doing the play-by-play. You had a fellow who usually does Spanish sports on yes. the sideline. He was failed so miserably they didn't have him back on again. That, that's and fine. they had a toe sucker as <laughs> the the color man, a, a sexual pervert. That's all fine and everything like that. And I don't care if the the announcer's a woman or not, or the sideline reporter's Hispanic. I just, I don't care. But if you're going to tout that sort of stuff, once again, you're making me think about issues that aren't just behemoths smashing into each other. Right. So I got to think about cops and black people, and I got to think about are minorities getting screwed out of jobs, and why aren't there more women doing this? And I don't, nobody wants to think about that stuff. That's why your ratings are going down. You got to quit with all that stuff. You just got to quit. You just got to quit. You know, I have no problem with women doing anything in broadcasting, but doing football play by play. I'm telling you, when the guy breaks one down the sideline and it gets exciting and the voice gets higher and higher, it's tough to take. <laughs> it just is. Wow. I mean, a guy whose voice gets higher sounds like this. A woman whose voice gets higher well, sounds like this. <laughs> Which one would you rather listen to? It's not a question of sexism. It's a question of eardrums. Oh, boy. Science. It's medicine. That hardly seemed fair. Yeah. <laughs> what? Have you ever... Did you hear her? Ah! I didn't hear her. That's right. That's right. It's not a woman's fault. No, I I don't think you should throw three first-time NFL broadcasters on the air at the same time. There was nobody to steady the ship. That just seemed like a, a mistake from, from Jump Street. At any time, 
was Rex Ryan crawling around the floor of the broadcast booth trying to get a suck on her toes. Yeah, he couldn't do the color commentary because he was trying to get a, get a look at her feet. Oh, my God, your sandals are amazing. If you don't know that story, Google it. I mean, let me see your sandals. Oh, that's nice. You have nice toes. Do I have time to jam They're this They're very in? long. <laughs> um, so <laughs> girls in bikinis serving coffee has been a thing. It's similar to what they do if you have a... What's the coffee stand I go through sometimes? Dutch Brothers. Dutch Brothers? Dutch Brothers. They don't wear bikinis, but they wear... The little shorts. Little little shorts, and they got music, and they dance around. It's weird. I think it's weird. Well, that's because they splash coffee a lot, and and you don't want that on your pants. It's easier to wipe off your skin. But anyway, the grab-and-go bikini hut in Everett, Washington, uh, the girls actually wear bikinis, and... uh, the group is claiming they have the right to do that. They're fighting the city, which is trying to crack down on this sort of thing for some reason. Why do you think you need to crack down on this? So to speak. If, if I don't want my kids to see girls in bikinis serving coffee, I won't go there to get coffee, I guess. Um, so here's the actual wording for the ruling. What, what, is, what is not allowed? The city has promised to produce diagrams that will illustrate compliant dress. So good. Actual diagrams. They have those diagrams on the internet. This is what compliant dress looks like. This is what doesn't look like. Facility employees are not allowed to wear bikinis or show their midriff, shoulders, or top three inches of leg below the buttocks while working. Shoulders. 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 So no tank tops. Is this Everett, Washington in the year 1750? No <gasps> tank tops for any, college girls any serving violators coffee. violators shall be burned at the stake. Wow, no Why tank tops. Liberal, liberal uh, Metro Seattle. Crazy. Uh, to that end, the suit argues the language is uh, head-scratchingly confusing because they're suing back against the city. And cites, for instance, language banning women from displaying, quote, the bottom one half of the anal cleft. Durr. I've heard that referred to as the gluteal cleft, a, a term I find uh, more acceptable. But the shoulder? You're not allowed to show the bottom one half of the anal cleft oh, Lord. in your That's, shorts. There's no need to say that. Which the lawsuit against Everett Washington points out the Seattle Seahawks cheerleaders outfits would be in violation of those ordinances. And you got you know, men, women, children of all ages, races, creeds, and religious backgrounds seeing that on football or in the stadium all the time. Wait a second. What, what part of the gluteal cleft is forbidden? Do not Google image search that, listeners. The bottom, <laughs> the bottom one half of the anal cleft. I, I don't believe for a minute that you can see the bottom one half of the girls' hiney division in the Seattle Seahawks uh, cheerleaders' uniforms. The bottom half? There's no way. I don't see how you would in a bikini either, so I don't know exactly what they're doing. Unless it's a, a thong? Guh. I like to pronounce the G. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> um so I don't wow, know what's going on. There. That's insane. So shoulders and the, the, the midriff? Midriff? Five thousand. Half, half the girls in America, when it's warm out, wear a T-shirt so that if they reached up, you know, a foot for a cup of coffee, you'd see their midriff. Well, harlots do. Oh boy! So you're you're not allowed to wear a tank top. Yeah, that is so crazy. To hand coffee to someone, right? It, it, seriously, now, is there like a lot of fundamentalist Muslims in Everett? I don't know. I I well, I don't see why you can't have them wearing a bikini. If you don't like it, then don't go there, and they'll either survive or as, as a business, or they won't. Based on that, I don't think they're harming anything. Um, but so in violation of this, if you're a college girl wearing a tank top in Everett, Washington, serving coffee, fine of up to $5,000 or a one year jail term. How'd you like to spend a year in jail for wearing a tank top? 
That's pretty crazy. In America in the year 2017. I'm not sure we could find a a cell for that young harlot, but we'd certainly (laughs) certainly try. It's a question of protecting the people. What's that other word you use? A trollop. Trollop. Um, A bunch of trollops serving coffee in their tank tops. I can see your shoulders. Disgusting. Cover your shoulders, strumpet. So we're going to actually talk to the guy who is a leader of the Patriot Prayer Group that's gotten so much attention. I, I hope just talking to him, Antifa doesn't want to come in here and bash us in the head. I certainly hope not. Hit us with sticks. Well, I have a very thick head. Don't have your children near the radio, though, because he's portrayed as a white supremacist, and I'm a little concerned we're going to hear some real hate coming up. Yeah, oh boy. So stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show.